women's rights Welcome to episode five of season two from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series shining a spotlight on women and intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I am the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitam IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. The 2022 Women's IP World can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that many IP conferences are back in person, please also keep an eye out for the hard copies. Very excited about today's guest, a very dear friend of mine. We have Lara Collada, managing partner of Dumont in Mexico, back on the podcast. You may recall, and if you don't, go check it out. We spoke with Laura as our first guest on the podcast, basically a year and a half ago. And we talked about her article, which was about the pandemic her thoughts on its onset, as if it was going to pass very quickly, if you remember, Laura. And then we were going to figure, and then you were figuring out all of a sudden, how do we get all of these people, some of which live in very rural areas of Mexico, Wi-Fi, computer access, uh, connectivity, and all of those things. And so they can work efficiently from home and you and your team did it. So welcome back, Laura. And please let us know what has happened since. Hi, Michelle. How are you? So, <laughs> so glad to be here. And every know, everyone knows that we're very dear friends. I want to thank um, Norton and the magazine for the opportunity again of having this uh, podcast. Well, um, I think, uh, Michelle, that first of all, things have changed all over the world. But in Mexico, we are still dealing with covid and uh, it has completely changed our way of uh, um, socializing, working, and so on. We still have measures. We still have to wear masks on a daily basis. Um, but um, everything is open by now. We're still dealing with authorities that are closed and are only um, having like these uh, one-to-one meetings, for example, at the uh, Patent and Trademark Office. But, well, life has changed, and I think, as you said recently, the only constant in life is change, okay? <laughs> so we have to, we, we have been resilient, and we have tried to accommodate all the changes. But um, I think that, as you said, now that we have had in-person conferences again and uh, we are getting to normalcy um, we are all 
influenced by what happened the almost three years, no, in this past three years. Mm-hmm. And um, business-wise, um, I have to tell you that even though that we have returned to the office, we kept a hybrid system, okay? Because um, also as we have talked about it many, many times, um, these changes in life made us feel and think that life could be different and um, and probably easier. So um, because of the uh, legislation, we are not able to return still uh, all the personnel to the office. It's 80 or 90% the, the ones that can be in the office. And that made us realize that a lot, a lot of people wanted to keep um, working at home and we still do it and it has been very, very efficient. But from the other side, at least in a country like mine, um, it took a toll emotionally, emotionally for all our personnel. So we have been doing a lot of things about that. For example, we are speaking about a very new idea that's called the emotional salary, okay? And what is an emotional salary? For example, allowing people, if everyone, almost everyone is returning to the office to keep at, I don't know, working at home. And also, for example, we hired the service of emotional therapy in the office, okay? Um, I think that for you and for many other our listeners that um, live in countries that um, tackle the pandemic in a more, more, much more efficient way than Mexico, probably you are not encountering these issues. But imagine that we started with this therapy service that it's great because all our personal can go to psychological and emotional therapy. And we thought in the very beginning that, well, just a few are going to have therapy because we thought that just few of them. No, no, it is crazy. It's like 40 people taking emotional or psychological therapy because what is the... How could I say this? Uh, the losses and everything that they have to tackle during the pandemic, and they are learning to live in a different way. So that is uh, part of what we are trying to to work in the office, working with what we are calling emotional salary, giving all these benefits and perks, because business-wise they are working so efficiently, and everybody is getting to their goals. And uh, um, professionally speaking, they are thriving. But personally, some of them were a wreck after the pandemic and uh, with many uh, questions of how to be a survivor of this worldwide episode, no? So I'm very happy that uh, you know that um, I'm passionate about inclusion and diversity and try to solve issues that are more about the people, the person, than professionally. Because as I've told you many, many times, uh, we all do the same. Some of us with better quality or some have better social skills or some of them are problem um, problem solvers, but we all do the same. And I think that 
having experienced a pandemic worldwide, we have to turn to the person and make the persons happy and balanced. And if uh, we um, help our colleagues, um, our work office will be working much better. I have to tell you, Laura, that is really exceptional. And I, I don't know that I have met anyone who has a formal implementation for mental health. We talk about mental health um, and that there's been globally an increase in certain mental issues like anxiety, for one. And there's many. But I and, and also in the, the realm of kids. Um, anxiety has really spiked um, as a result of the pandemic. So I think what you're doing is so commendable and so necessary. And I, I hope to hear that more firms, more companies in general, are really paying attention to the mental state of their personnel. Because if you don't have, you know, what we say, like, if you don't have your health, you have nothing, right? And sometimes we really mask, right, how we're doing um, mentally, right? Um, we get into the physical ailments, but not necessarily mental. And so I think, I think it's fantastic. And I, I hope and I expect that you're going to see great results for your personnel you know, as individuals, but also in the collective and how Dumont, you know, progresses from here. Um, I think, Michelle, that you're right. I think that many firms are not taking under consideration mental health of, of their um, um, personnel. And let me tell you, it started in a very, I could say, funny way. When we came back to the office, we said, okay, we, we've, we haven't seen each other for so long. Let's uh, have a small gathering. We have uh, nothing formal like beer and wine and chips and whatever. And there were so many people that I did not recognize. Mm. Some of them were very thin. Some had gained a lot of, of, of weight. Some were very emotional, like crying at the gathering, like bursting into tears, you know? Like overcome with the emotion of being with each other again? Yes, but not in the good way to say it in a, that, that you, you could tell that something wrong was happening, okay? And all of a sudden, a lot of people was crying, okay? So I... There were speeches and all, the, all, all of them were very heartfelt and whatever. But when it finished, I said, okay, here there's something wrong, okay? And um, I asked our human resources department, find out what is happening. It's not normal. Okay, these people are, uh, they have a lot of personality and so on, but like bursting into tears out of emotion or people that are really, really thin or they have gained so much weight and things like that, something is happening. So um, Human Resources took the time like to chat informally with a lot of them and there was anxiety, 
there was depression. There was uh, problems and issues uh, dealing with loss and so on. And uh, I said, let's find a solution, okay? Because um, in probably in many jurisdictions, there's not a bias going through therapy. In Mexico, there's still a bias of going into emotional or psychological therapy. And I, I put in charge our, our human resources department to tackle with this. And, uh, well, they said, well, a lot of, of them, I think that they need therapy. Many are reluctant or they don't have the money or their insurance doesn't com- uh, covers this. So I said, so what we can do? Let me see. So we really look for this type of service, okay? And also that for some of them could be um, done by Zoom electronically and so on. So we hired a company that provides um, therapy and it is great because uh, even though we paid for it and so on, there's a confidentiality agreement. We don't know about any of the issues, our employees. It's like very well designed. And uh, well, the only thing that we know is that someone at the office is taking advantage of this benefit. And let me tell you, people are uh, dealing with their issues. Um, I can see that people are, are gaining weight or are losing the pounds, people is exercising, I can hear laughs at the office. So it's great, it's working, okay? And um, at the month, my partners and myself took this this decision because um, it is important not to see just how a person is doing physically, but also mentally, no? Nobody can work with anxiety. Nobody can work with depression. The results are going to be awful if you don't address all, all the situations, no? Yeah, they'll be inferior. Yeah, they may, they may get the work done. I mean, people work, you know, get their work done, but, but not, in, not in, a, in a, probably they could do it better without, yeah. without these other issues. So, so that's one of the things that, uh, was a result of the pandemic. And I can tell you, I'm very happy of uh, uh, implementing this uh, benefit, but it was also a program. And we have decided that regarding the pandemic and if we have a sixth wave and whatever, it will be a continuing program at the office, okay? And I would like to, as you said, to see other firms implement something like that and to look for the well-being and the balance of their personal. No, if we want to be successful firms, it's you have to look for your team. So that's on one side, and then the other side. Um, you also know that I'm also very keen on DNI diversity and inclusion issues, and uh, we have covered almost all minorities at the office. And uh, for the first time, we, we have hired uh, a disabled person. He is a hearing pair and he has um, speaking disabilities. So we are learning signs, sign language at the office. And it has been amazing. Oh, wow. It has been amazing 
because what we saw as giving him an opportunity, he's teaching all of us. He has mm-hmm. teaching us how professional he can be, how nice uh, he communicates so much with a smile. And he's teaching us all of science. And he has become very popular at the office. And his work is so good. So good. So what kind of work is what kind of work is he doing? And he he works as a, as systems. He it's amazing the effort of his parents. He he uh, was born like that, and he went through school, and he has a degree on um, software like computer systems. Some computer systems. Uh, yeah. Okay. So he services all the yeah. departments. He services trademarks, patents, and so on, and. Uh, and we're learning. It is it, it, life is very funny when you think that you are giving an opportunity. That in Mexico it's quite unusual to have to hire in a law from someone with disabilities. Um, and you think that you're doing something good or blah blah blah. And it comes that the le- that you're receiving the lesson, not giving the lesson. This guy has taught us so much, so much. And it has been an amazing ride. He has been at the office for six or seven months. And he's thriving. He's very happy. But I think that the influence that he has given to all of us, uh, realizing in an office that has always been inclusive and diverse, he has he has been teaching all of us so much about communication about professionalism about life basically so yeah, and he those... sounds really dedicated to the firm and loyal to the firm and he's doing he it sounds like he recognizes the opportunity what happened, he's what happened, what happened michelle yeah. is that i don't know in the states and in, in other countries in mexico we're still working on including people with, that are different, you no, know, in 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 our community, special in the legal community. So um, he didn't have a job when we hired him, and uh, he really is very grateful of of having an opportunity. But I think that what it's important to highlight is that. Well, Dumont gave the opportunity, but he's the one that is teaching us that nothing happened and we are diverse worlds and we have to um, give everyone an opportunity because as we have, probably they will surprise you how professional and how efficient they can be. Well, Laura, you and your team are doing great work, doing great things, and it all of this enhances the ability of your firm. And I, I congratulate you on that. And then we are going to take a quick break at this point. And then we're going to turn to your recent article before we run out of time, because you know how we are, and we will just keep keep talking through the night. And I know. We Michelle. definitely want to cover that too. And we'll be right back. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law and innovation globally. Our annual publication has attracted a cocktail of, awe-inspiring, 
knowledgeable women working at all levels in IP and innovation from all over the world. We are proud to share our platform and profile many inspirational women by sharing their industry knowledge through engaging thought leadership literature, stories and personal experiences. If you would like to be part of the Women's IP World Annual 2023, then please make sure to contact a member of our team to reserve your profile, editorial or branding packages by calling plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at womensipworld.com. Reserve your position in the Women's IP World Annual 2023 before the 1st of June to qualify for a 30% discount on our profile and editorial packages. The Women's IP World Annual 2023 Profiles, Articles, Rankings, Experience, Achievements, Accolades, plus so much more. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I think you're going to find this article extremely uh, informational, uh, and I expect you will have learned something just to clue you into where we are in the hard copy and the electronic as they mirror each other. Uh, Laura's bio can be found on page 17 in her article on uh, 18 and 19 of the 2022 edition of the Women's IP World Annual. And it's entitled The Metaverse NFTs IP in the Virtual World. And aren't we hearing so much about meta and metaverse? So, you know, we, we see references in movies, the news, it's like sci-fi has become our reality. So let's, Laura, if you could first tell us what is a metaverse? Oh, that is a difficult question when I have to translate, uh, Michelle, but uh, metaverse, by, by, basically, it's a virtual reality, okay? Mm-hmm. Um as you said, sci-fi has become real life. Today, your avatar can live in the metaverse and you can have almost everything to say it in a way. You can have a house, you can go shopping, you can play golf. And uh, this is something that has so many issues because it's, they are not only legal, they are moral, they are ethical. And um, basically, legislation is not prepared for many of these issues. Um, We are all learning and listening on a daily basis about metaverse, about NFTs, about 3D and so on, that in a way, if you are really into these things, to say it in a funny way, your avatar can have a better life than yours, okay? But that gives us a lot of challenges as lawyers, and especially as IP lawyers. Probably our community knows all these huge trials with luxury brands that are already in place and not with final decisions of what is going to happen in the met- metaverse. But, so before we before we go further, let's also define NFTs. I would imagine most of our listeners are already familiar with it, but can you define that? It's um, non fungible tokens. Okay, 
basically the non-fungible tokens are dedicated to copyrights and to artists and to many other things, but it starts spreading that way, okay? You could today buy uh, an artwork as an, an NFT and uh, a lot of people say, why? I'm the only thing that I'm buying a code, okay? And I think that if it's legally speaking a truth that you're buying a code, um, many artists will only have artworks in the metaverse. So collectors and especially young, young people are looking to have all these NFTs living in the metaverse that you can showcase and on the real world with special devices. But uh, let me tell you, the, the market is very, very, very hot on NFTs. Just to follow the trend, it's not only uh, music artists and whatever. After Johnny Depp won his trial, he now has his own NFTs, okay? So it's something that it's very hot and that we're dealing with it and that also with cryptocurrency, we're having issues around the world that it's not a strong currency and has had a lot of devaluations. So um, we all have to learn about all these new issues. But you said something that you feel that every single one of the community or the majority of our legal community knows, knows what is an NFT. Michelle, I don't agree with you. Um, recently, um, I was at a conference in Costa Rica, ASIPI, and they had all their program dedicated to metaverse and virtual rela- uh, reality and NFTs. And I was surprised that probably in Latin America, probably it's different in other regions, people were eager to learn because to say it in a way, they were digital dinosaurs, okay? <laughs> well, if our listeners didn't know before, they're certainly going to know after listening to this podcast about NFTs. And, uh, yeah. And I want to be able, and I want them to really understand. That's one of the reasons why I was very much looking forward to this conversation is to educate because even people who've heard of NFTs might not really understand, you know, is it just Bitcoin, right? Because that's kind of like a, a big name in the NFT world. But you said yourself, like people are creating these virtual lives, so to speak, within this 3D virtual world and they're buying things, right? So they still have to use a currency, right? And that currency right. are various types of NFTs. So that's yes. all I was just wanting to you know, educate the listeners, right? Um, through your article, that that's how they're buying things. Yes, uh, let me tell you, you you cannot buy it with real currencies. You have to go for a cryptocurrency, right. Bitcoin or Ethereum, or there are several currencies. Um, and then you have to use special platforms, okay? Not in not all the um, common platforms can be used. It's it's a different world in everything from the currency to how you buy it, uh, what they are offering. Um, it is um, for many people very difficult to understand. And I think it depends on how old are you. If you discuss these issues with very young people, with teenagers or people in their 20s, they 
they have a grab on it and they don't need any explanation. But I was very surprised in, in this conference that there were so many what I call digital dinosaurs mm-hmm. that they didn't know about cryptocurrencies. Even they hear about it every single day, Bitcoin and whatever. They didn't know that they were other currencies. They didn't know what it was an NFT. An, an NFT. They didn't know that you have today virtual worlds in which you can buy land, in which you can play golf, in when, when you can go shopping. And the amazing thing is that probably you know that now there are a couple of IP firms in the metaverse living in the metaverse. Tell us about tell us about that. Look, I don't know as much because I only read the the uh, article. It's it's a um, colleague of us based in Italy, and they established their IP firm in the metaverse. So they are going to provide to the avatars IP services. <laughs> Imagine the the length of this, Michelle. All our audience, imagine that we will be able to provide legal services in the metaverse. Because we will obviously file trademarks and so on. But uh, I think that the, the idea of this firm was to showcase what you can do in the metaverse. Okay, now that basically you can do anything that you can do in real life. Including legal, fight legal issues in the metaverse. in the metaverse. (laughs) That's incredible. uh, It is incredible. It is incredible. So, um, but uh, what I really believe, because I think that it's a generational thing, is that today many of the main partners and so on are hearing about metaverse, are hearing about NFTs, uh, hearing about 3D, and not learning about it. I think that many of our services will shift to the to provide services related to the metaverse, okay? And I started studying because I, I used to consider myself also a digital dinosaur. And even filing a, meta, a, 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 a trademark for goods and services uh, in the meta- in the metaverse needs some kind of introspection because obviously in the only part that those goods and services are described are on the USPT- USPTO because probably the states is the jurisdiction that is doing more things related to metaverse and to NFTs and so on. But for many other jurisdictions, not even... Legally speaking, we have the descriptions of the goods and services um, uh, to file those type of uh, trademarks. And then imagine what is happening in the metaverse, coming back to the real world and filing claims against counterfeiters, because there's a lot of counterfeited goods in the metaverse by now. So it's it's going to be, well, no, it's not going to be. It is today very important. And I, I think that we lawyers need to learn. I, I think that we need to pass legislation. I think that we need to see the crossing points between virtual and real life. 
and what we're doing it. And also, I think that there are so many ethical and moral issues about the metaverse. How far are we going to go? Okay. Are we expecting Terminator to be the real, the next step? Because when you start learning about this, then you start also learning about artificial intelligence and the interface that they can do with the metaverse and so on. There are so many issues that we have to explore and learn about them. But it's growing. It's not a rumor anymore. It's a reality and it's a reality that we have to tackle and learn about it. And and I would say that, you know, the metaverse, it's it's existed. It's it's been around, but probably there the catalyst it's been pushed, you know, of the pandemic has really like accelerated. Um and, you know, you mentioned Laura the like teenagers and those in their early 20s. I mean, my kids playing Roblox uh, and other games like that, they are growing up with the knowledge of a metaverse, what that means, NFTs. They want Robux for, mm-hmm. you know, these vir- the virtual money so that they can buy things within the game. Right? I know, I know, I know. It's part of their allowance today. It's unbelievable. It, it and it's and they're growing up with it. Um, you know, those that grew up with you know with iPhones. You know, of course, we didn't. That's like the oh, that's so old. Like who didn't grow up with an iPhone? This is even more advanced, and it's accelerated with these the kids who've been you know at home. Um, you know, virtual learning during the pandemic. This is how they socialized with other kids because they can't interface with their school friends through the game. And it became like the new play date. And they're growing up with the metaverse. I mean, there wasn't life for them before the metaverse. Exactly. And you have caught up a great deal from the digital dinosaur, um, obviously. (laughs) Um, You must have been also pretty shocked to learn that the U.S., and it it sounded to me from the article that that U.S. was the only jurisdiction so far, to your knowledge, to our knowledge here, that actually had classes exactly that, that covered virtual services like this for the games. And so the article, I just want to point out to the listeners so they know, Laura beautifully illustrates, like, word for word, right, those items that are there. For those of us who may have clients or ourselves who are delving into this much deeper. Um, from the moment that uh, I wrote the article to today, Michelle, um, Europe also has the classes and the descriptions are necessary, but okay. it was influenced by the USPTO. Mm. But for example, throughout Latin America, you don't have the classes to to do it because obviously it's an insertion in, in different classes. Mm-hmm depending on the on the goods and services that you want to provide. But even us as trademark attorneys, we have to learn how to file those type of trademarks because there are many peers that says that if they're covered in the real world, they are still covering the metaverse. And there's a lot of... Um, 
debate on that, okay? But I, I think that we are going to a type of specialization on IP because many things can happen in the metaverse that are not covered for, uh, by existing le- legislation. And uh, we have to solve those issues for our clients because the mind of our clients and the business itself, this worldwide business that is, that is the metaverse, is growing on a high speed. Um, you can see the cost of, of uh, NFTs and that they are selling on a daily basis. And uh, it's it's what is happening. And we have to, I, I would say, uh, we have, first of all, we have to learn and understand because for me, and uh, uh, probably I'm very candid about this, but for me, it was difficult to understand why would someone would like to have tennis shoes in the metaverse, very pricey tennis shoes in the metaverse, or a luxury bag in the metaverse, okay? Probably because I'm a generation that likes physical reality, okay? If I pay a large sum of money for a luxury bag, I like to see it, I like to touch it, I like to wear it, and so on. For me, it was very difficult to... Have make that step and understand why all these things are happening in the metaverse. Why buying land, constructing a home, building a home, having a membership in a golf club in a virtual world would be important. And you're correct. The pandemic made this to have a speed in which lawyers are basically catching up. As it is usually the case, the law needs to catch up. Exactly. Uh, and so do the lawyers. So it's why I think this article will be very interesting for for our listeners. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see you, Laura, or, or others that are well-versed in this area on the speaking circuit. Because as adults, right, um, we... And you know, I don't want to say older generation, but a bit, right? Compared to the to the kids who are really growing up with this, we need to we're we're educating each other on the subject that our that our kids are, <laughs> you know, they're growing up with, you know, as like ABCs. I think that uh, most probably many of our listeners would learn more from their kids than from reading any amount of articles, okay? Because uh, recently I was taught by a digital artist how to make an NFT. And it, mm. takes, you five, it takes you five minutes. If you have the artwork ready, that uh, it can be done in the real world and then transformed to be a virtual artwork, or you can basically do your artwork in the digital world, you can upload them and have them ready to to sell in 10 minutes. And it was all the process, like from starting my account for a cryptocurrency, then starting an account to buy and sell NFTs, and then how to send 
I wouldn't say like just upload, okay, because you have to do a lot of steps, okay, to to put your NFT in the virtual uh, uh, world and then in the metaverse and then to offer it to the public. And then you can see the speed in which those artworks, those NFTs are sold. And I was taught by a girl that is 24, Okay. Well, I think my 10-year-old probably could have taught you as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, the, that, that's the scary and that's the reality of the situation, right? Um, Laura, unfortunately, it pains me to say this, but we are really at the end. Uh, but I want to give you the opportunity if you had some last words to share with us on, on any topic you'd like. Well, um. I hope that uh, our listeners enjoy this conversation and I would say just to wrap up things about the two topics that we covered is that um, if you're a partner, you're a decision maker in your law firm, try to uh, do something for the well-being of your personnel. And on the other side, um if you're a lawyer that is uh, well-educated and trained in the, in the metaverse, uh, educate us. And the ones that are digital dinosaurs, you have to learn about it. It's a reality. It's, a, it's the new world. And every single day we will be asked to provide legal services about metaverse. Yeah, don't be afraid, right? We've, right. we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. This is no different from, from that standpoint. We're always learning new technologies, right? Exactly. Thank you very much, Michelle. It was really fun. Thank you so much for joining me today and to our listeners. Please do like, follow, share with your friends and colleagues, and also feel free to send comments and questions. We do look at those. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lara. Thank you. Bye-bye, Michelle. Women's Eyes Women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.